This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss coping with holiday stress with Angela Wallace. We'll learn why you should stop complaining with Peak Performance Coach Hina Khan. We'll find out about Gardening Holiday Gift Guide with Organic Gardener Melissa Cameron. And lastly, we'll talk about Women's Brain Health Initiative with its directing mind, Lynn Poslins. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Research from the University of Cambridge has found that up to 78% of walkers would take a more challenging route featuring obstacles such as balancing beams, stepping stones, and high steps. The findings suggest that providing active landscape routes in urban areas could help tackle an inactivity pandemic and improve health outcomes. Do you feel groggy until you've had your morning coffee? Do you battle sleepiness throughout the workday? You're not alone. Many people struggle with morning alertness, but a new study demonstrates that awaking refreshed each day is not just something a lucky few are born with. Scientists at the University of California, Berkeley, have discovered that you can wake up each morning without feeling sluggish by paying attention to three key factors, sleep, exercise, and breakfast. The researchers found that the secret to alertness is a three-part prescription requiring substantial exercise the previous day, sleeping longer and later into the morning, and eating a breakfast high in complex carbohydrates with limited sugar. According to research out of Edith Cowan University in Australia, a daily cup of tea could help you enjoy better health late in life. However, if you're not a tea drinker, there are other things that you can do to add to your diet. The key is flavonoids, which are naturally occurring substances found in many common foods and beverages, such as black and green tea, apples, nuts, citrus fruits, berries, and more. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Angela Wallace in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Angela Wallace is a registered dietitian, Pilates instructor, and family food expert. She specializes in nutrition for women of all ages and children. She empowers women to make healthy lifestyle changes, to feel their best, and she's new to the show. Welcome, Angela. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing fine. We're getting into the danger zone for a lot yeah. of people, right? Pretty soon, if they haven't turned their minds to it, they're putting together meal lists and they're busy shopping and they're trying to figure out how to cram extra two or three people at the table without getting another table and all sorts of issues that come out with a holiday. Everybody's kind of stressed out. Would you agree? 
Oh, I agree. I think everybody is stressed for, you know, all the reasons you just mentioned. And I feel like because of, you know, COVID and the pandemic, everyone's feeling a little bit more stressed. Maybe some of those family obligations are back in place. Maybe you're, there's like fear around the holidays, fear of getting sick before the holidays or after or, you know, infecting older friends and family members. There's almost like this extra layer of stress beyond the stress that already exists about the meal prep and the cleaning up your house and the buying gifts for people and all of that stuff. Right. And, you know, you're probably spending time with people that are friends and family, but then you know, maybe friends and family you haven't seen in a while and maybe there's yeah. expectations and maybe, you know, maybe there's issues in your relationship that cause stress. So I think for, right. a, lo- for a lot of people, you know, in seasonal affective disorder and for all those reasons, we're just kind of feeling inundated. So what does this stress that we've sort of defined, what does it do to our bodies? Well, a whole bunch. So when your body is under stress, the body produces more stress hormones. Some of these hormones include adrenaline and cortisol. I think when people hear stress, they think of cortisol. And when these hormones are elevated, it creates some underlying inflammation in the body. And if you are stressed for a long period of time, this can lead to health issues. So it is natural and normal for our bodies to experience stress. You know, that stress should kind of ebb and flow, come up, go down. But sometimes people are chronically stressed. So for a long period of time, they're experiencing stress. And this can lead to some health consequences. So it could impact your immune system, making you more receptive to sickness, infections. Sometimes it is presented as joint pain, migraines, It definitely drains your energy. So if you're experiencing that burnout feeling, which I think a lot of people experience this time of year, you know, it's like wrapping up the end of the year plus the holidays and people feel drained. And then our gut and our mind are very much connected. Right. I was, I was so, going to say the, the gut mind access, like when I feel stress, I get mm-hmm. like a rumbly tummy or if yes. I got a rumbly tummy, sometimes that's going to manifest in a stress headache. It's all interconnected, yes. right? Exactly. So digestive issues are huge. So if you are anxious, overwhelmed, potentially depressed, right? Like different mood changes can ultimately influence how your gut is feeling or vice versa. If your gut is unhealthy, right, then that might manifest or present in things like anxiety, depression, or other mood conditions. Right. And, you know, it's all exacerbated by the fact that we're probably eating foods that we wouldn't normally eat or in volumes that we wouldn't normally eat. Mm -hmm. And you marry that with the alcohol you're probably going to have or whatever else you're taking. You know, you can shock the digestive system in in much the same way just by changing up what you're eating or the volume of what you're eating, which is going to make all these problems that much worse. Well, exactly. Actually, this is just like a personal side note, but my husband's been, you know, eating a bunch of chocolate lately. I think at work, you know, holiday, there's chocolate everywhere. And last night he's like, I just feel terrible. Yeah. And I was like, do you feel like you're getting sick? And he's like, no, I just feel gross. Like sluggish, you know, that lack of motivation. And again, it's just like that gut mind connection. It's like he was feeling not great 
and it was probably connected to what he was eating more of. Exactly. All right. So, Angela, we've scared the hell out of everybody. Mission accomplished. <laughs> we've we put them on notice that they may feel yucky in the coming weeks. So let's help them now. What can we yeah. what can we do to avoid stress and make the holidays, quote unquote, perfect? Uh, well, I don't think perfect exists. Yeah. And if we're trying to achieve perfection, we're probably going to feel really stressed. So. Right. Trying to not feel like you have to do everything, I think I've become, you know, as I you know, have my own family now, I've started to realize that sometimes it's important to set boundaries. Exactly. There might have been expectations or traditions that worked, you know, 10 years ago, but as things change, people change maybe traditions need to change as well or, you know, be modified. So setting boundaries for yourself, for your time, for your energy, maybe delegating or sharing responsibilities with people. I know it depends, you know, every household is different, but I feel like a lot of women take on a lot of the mental load around the holiday time, the organizing of the gifts and the trying to make everything perfect for everyone. So sharing some of those responsibilities where possible, but also trying to rest, right? Yeah, I would say this. The one thing that's come out of COVID is that people are valuing the things they value that much more and mm-hmm. and jettisoning those things that are for affectation. Like I don't have time for the kabuki dance of doing this or that because we've done it before. Do you know what right. I mean? And, and I think everybody's expectations of like good is good enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that anybody really cares about perfection anymore. I'm sure there are people that do, but yeah. I, I just kind of want a nice quiet time. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I stepped on your idea about rest and, and, and obviously that's a big one. I've actually, I'm sort of in a, in a pre-holiday weight loss mode right now. And okay. one, of, one of the things I'm doing is actually going to sleep an hour earlier. Because Wonderful. because sleep is so intrinsically tied to our overall health. So let's explore sort of rest and, and self-care. Yeah. So rest, I know sleep, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but sometimes rest doesn't have to be sleep, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't only be resting when you're sleeping. So whether that's, you know, enjoying like a herbal tea before bed or taking a bath or reading, you know, even if it's sometimes if it's been a busy day for myself personally, I really make a point of, okay, I'm going to read in bed, even if it's for five minutes, you know, it's just something to unwind, whether it's reading, again, having a tea, taking a bath, taking some deep breaths, and then sleep for sure. So I like that you mentioned going to bed an hour earlier, because I find this time of the year where people are so overwhelmed and stressed, they're often staying up really late trying to finish things. And that kind of backfires because then if you haven't had a good sleep, you're not going to want to exercise. You're not going to be craving foods that are healthy because you're craving things that are going to give you quick energy. So it all it's all very much interconnected, like you said. So trying to get to bed earlier, maybe that's not every night, but maybe a few times a week, right? You're making a point of trying to get to bed earlier, trying to get more sleep. All of this being said, I know that when people are stressed, it can be harder to fall asleep and stay asleep. 100%. Yeah, no, I'm not advocating and going to bed earlier so you can lie in bed worrying about all the things that you're not doing. That's, That's not the solution. I was just sort of 
I'm advocating and, you know, some of us will have less time, some of us will have more time to use the time that you have to sort of help fix yourself, right? Like yeah. beyond, beyond the celebrations, like whether that's going for a walk, whether that's getting a massage, right? Everybody uses up all their all their mm-hmm. allotment of uh, insurance money and get some self-care in. It's, it's probably not a bad time to do it, but if you haven't booked it, you're probably out of luck. But, <laughs> but I would definitely right. advocate for that as well. For sure. And so if, you know, the self-care isn't happening for whatever reason and you're stressed and you're having a hard time sleeping, this is where supplements can potentially come in and make a difference. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'm all about, you know, what can you do in your lifestyle first? But this is a busy time of year, right? And sometimes people need a little bit extra support. So one of my favorites is magnesium. Mm -hmm. And there's different types of magnesium. So magnesium is glycinate, especially in a powder form, this will allow for optimal absorption. It's not necessarily a sleep aid, so it's not going to make you fall asleep. It's not like like you're taking a sleeping pill here, but magnesium does work to help relax your muscles and your nervous system. It's great for post-workout recoveries as well, right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. And and it aids when you're sleeping. That's when your body repairs all your muscles. That's where you build muscle and all the aches and pains are dealt with sort of internally. So taking the magnesium is going to aid in that process. Exactly. So I recommend this, you know, 30 to 60 minutes before bed, you know, mixing it into some water if it's a powdered form. And so although it's not a sleep aid, there is research on magnesium. So this was a really well done randomized controlled trial, but they looked at older adults who were struggling with insomnia. And they found that those who were having a supplementation of magnesium for an eight week period actually fell asleep faster, stayed asleep longer and reduced nighttime wakings. So to me, it's one of those things that it's worth a try most people are lacking in magnesium and, and could benefit from the, the little extra boost. Good advice. Other than magnesium, what other supplements are on your to-do list? Yeah, just to help with overall stress, definitely a probiotic mm-hmm. could be something. So we were talking about that brain-gut connection. So if you're under a lot of stress, you're experiencing digestive issues, it might be worth trying to take worth trying taking care of the gut so having a probiotic there's two specific strains of bacteria that help with reducing anxiety and depression in different clinical trials one is lactobacillus helveticus and the other one is bifidobacterium longum. So you would have to look for these specific strains on the packaging, and usually you need a supplement. You can get probiotics through foods like yogurt and different fermented foods, but for these particular strains that are associated with mood boost, Mm -hmm. you do need a supplement. And looking for either a powdered form or something that says it's enteric coated in a capsule so that it doesn't get ruined or destroyed by the stomach acid because sometimes that is possible. So thinking about ways to keep your digestive system happy, a probiotic is one option. Eating well is another, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, all of those good things. Are there foods that actually give you an energy boost? I think 
I mean, yes, there are certain <laughs> foods that show like minimal boost in energy. For example, carbs definitely do give you an energy boost, all carbs. The problem is the type of carbohydrate, right? Yeah. So it could be like a really quick energy boost and then a really bad crash, or it could be, you know, pairing a fruit that is a form of carb with something like almonds that is nice and fatty, and that's giving you an energy boost without like that big spike in your blood sugar. So there are different ways to do it, but definitely eating in a way that is full of vitamins and minerals and nutrients that your body needs, that in itself will give you an energy boost. And staying hydrated. Yeah. I think people don't realize that when you aren't drinking water, you're going to feel so tired. Yeah, sometimes late afternoon, I'll feel hungry or peaked. And I think that I need to eat, but in actuality, I probably need to drink water. So I've yeah. actually sort of trained myself to take a glass of water and then wait a few minutes and see if, if that changes how I feel. And typically yeah. it does. And I end up not having that little snack, which for me is an issue because I tend to overeating. So uh, if I can avoid that, but having water, that's probably a plus plus, right? Yeah, that's a great strategy for sure. Fantastic. So time for one last question. Any, any parting thoughts on supplementation or health to help us with dealing with stress over the holidays? Take that time to rest. If you are taking supplements, make sure you make that into your routine so you're not forgetting, whether it's your probiotic, whether it's magnesium, you know, you can maybe throw in a fish oil in there. There's research to show that it can help balance your mood. It's also great for heart health and it has anti-inflammatory properties. So lots of good stuff happening there. If you're taking, you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, because it's cold and flu season, just keeping that in your routine, focusing on rest and trying to eat well and get some fresh air when you can. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Jamie. For more information about Angela, please visit eatrightfeelright.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss why complaining is so very bad for you on The Tonic. If you have type 2 diabetes, it might be time for a heart-to-heart -heart with your own heart. There's no sugarcoating it. Type 2 diabetes affects more than just your blood sugar levels. It can impact other parts of your body, including your heart. If you have diabetes and a history of heart disease, there are medications, along with diet and exercise, that can lower your risk from dying from problems relating to your heart and blood vessels. Talk to your doctor today and visit myheartmatters.ca to learn more. Brought to you by two of Canada's leading pharmaceutical research-based companies. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Inacon guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it be creating quantum leaps in their businesses or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. 
Then through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones which help to supercharge her client's growth. As a peak performance coach, Hina has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. And for more information about Hina, you can always visit hinacon.ca. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I am excellent. How are you, Jamie? Well, I could complain, but then again, that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? Absolutely. And it's so funny because when, you know, when I was thinking about what we were talking about today, I thought, hmm, I bet you Jamie complains. I think he's a complainer. Hina, not only am I a complainer, I am actually world ranked. I have a second degree black belt in complaining. (laughs) Yes. So you're like Olympic gold. It's an art form. Some people say it's a science, but it's actually an art form. And I'm quite proficient. today, Jamie. My gosh, I've got my work cut out for me. You do. And you only you only have 11 minutes, so we better get to it. So you conceive of complaining not as an art form, but as a habit. What do you mean by that? When I say complaining is a habit, I think about people, possibly like you, Jamie, where you are complaining so much that it is habitual. You don't even realize it. It is part of the way that you communicate. You will complain and then you get other people on board and they're commiserating with you. In fact, it's probably a way that, of connection. I was just going to say it's... you and somebody else can agree on. It's bonding, right? Like you can bring people together in their misery, right? Like it's... It, yeah. You know, I think the issue is whether or not you're constantly complaining or you're conscious of it or you can turn it off. I agree with you. Some people aren't conscious of it. I do it so much that I can't help but be aware that I'm complaining. But why do you think people complain so much? Like, why is it? I think it's exactly what you said, Jamie. It's an opportunity to bond with other people. It's a way to commiserate and feel like you are connecting with the person. The problem with that is, is that it's such a low level. And what we do is we create momentum around the complaining. I think another reason that we do it is because we feel like It is a way to connect, so we feel bad if we are not complaining. Like, we feel bad if we're like, well, actually, that doesn't happen to me. My life is going pretty well. We don't feel comfortable saying that, so we will actually find things, make things up, so that we can feel like we are on the same level as the person that's complaining. I have to say, in all my adult life, I've never made up a complaint. They're genuine. Like, I I get it. I understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree. I would say, hmm, I think I agree with you. I understand it. I guess I would say, if you can transition, like, for me, it's a form of humor, right? Like, I can pretty much make anybody laugh through my complaints. I think if you're good at it, you can do it. But I understand it's not necessarily healthy. I'm not trying to undermine you here. So assuming that we don't want to complain anymore, and that's an assumption, what are some of the benefits of not complaining? The first thing is it gives you more time. Because now you can get to the solution. You can get to making something different if there's something that's happening that you don't like. It allows you to move to where the solution is. It allows you to connect with people on a level that feels good as well. And it also stops the momentum of the complaint. What we do is we make the issue bigger. And it goes beyond that because we also then start to remember other things that are similar to that complaint and we bring that in so it creates a lot of momentum and can i just be really honest with you jamie it is a waste of time it is a waste of time to sit there and complain and complain and complain i cannot tolerate it anymore it is like nails on a chalkboard do something about it 
figure something out or stop complaining. Those are the options if you're with me. All right. Okay. How do you get out of conversations then if people are complaining? So if you don't like it, what are you doing about it? This happened to me recently. I had done a retreat with clients and some people were complaining or sharing information about what happened at the airport. I just stand there pretty neutrally. I don't ask questions. I don't add to it. And I look at them and I sort of nod and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, and then I'll change the subject. So I'm not getting in there right away. Sometimes people need to just say something. So with you, Jamie, I'll let you say it, get it off your chest, but I'm not going to ask you questions about it. And I'm not going to make a thing about it, especially if there's nothing that I can do about it to help. So others may be surprised by that and they may take it as being rude. And that is okay. I am okay with somebody thinking I'm rude if I'm not commiserating with them. But for the most part, they're happy to move on. So I don't ask questions. I do not add to it. And I change the subject. Those are a few ways that you can get out of a conversation if somebody's complaining. Yeah, I I guess, you know, sometimes when I hear people complain, I think they're actually searching for answers. You know, like if I'm telling you about, yeah, no, honestly, I think if I'm telling you about a problem I'm having, it may be that I'm looking for your insight and that maybe you can help me with my problem or talking it through allows me to sort of come to my own solution where I'm formulating these ideas in my head. And then if I say them aloud, then I get some feedback as to whether or not I'm going on the right track. But I, but I use it as a communication tool and I'm a communicator, right? So yes, you are a communicator. Now here's the thing. When I sense that, I will ask somebody, would you like some feedback? Would you like a solution? Would you like to hear another perspective? Would you like to hear some thoughts? Yep. The way that you can figure that out. I've been on the other side of it. Like people complain to me all the time, right? And in my previous incarnation as a lawyer, I mean, I'm solving people's problems, right? And I actually don't mind when people complain to me if I give advice but they got to follow the advice. If they're just complaining for the sake of complaining, I agree with you. I don't need to hear it. Yes, exactly. So the other thing is I will not listen for very long to the complaints before I will say, is this something you would like to change? Right. Would you like to move beyond this? And if they do, I agree with you. It's great. Like that might be the gateway into the solution. Right. So first say what the complaint is. But I've got to tell you, Jamie, there's some people when you ask them, do they want, do you want a solution? They're a little taken aback because they weren't expecting that. They were expecting you to commiserate and talk about the problem and complain some more. And there's some people that do not want a solution. Yeah. They truly do not want to. They want uh, to stay in the complaint because yeah. they want to remain a victim. Uh, oh, I'm with you there. Com- I'm with you there. Yeah, right. So to not complain and to say, I will take a solution is to take responsibility. And then they may have to look at their part in the situation. Yeah, true. And, you know, there are complaints and then there are complaints, right? Like if you are complaining to somebody about them, that's one form of complaint. If you are complaining into the ether, in other words, you're complaining about something that happened previously, you're just bitching and griping as opposed to actually expressing concern about an issue. Those are two different types of complaints. Wouldn't you agree? I would, but even things like, so for example, let's say you've taken your team, Jamie, out for a weekend, you're staying at a hotel, and your AC doesn't work. So for me, the other thing is, who are you complaining to? And so someone may go, you may go to the team and say, yeah, my AC doesn't work. And then your team's like, oh, yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, I actually found it was hot in my room, too. And then this whole thing starts. 
So for me, in those situations, I'm just like, talk to the hotel, of course, to the person that can do something about it. But I think many people will have a full-on conversation and enroll people in that conversation about something that they can't even do anything about because they don't want a solution. They just want to, as you say, bitch and moan about it. Except some people do it as a way to motivate them. In other words, what? yeah, it's true. Like I've, I've witnessed people complaining what they really want is is sort of like approval. Like, yes, you're correct. You should act on that yeah. complaint as opposed to, nah, you know what? That's not such a big deal. I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother doing anything about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, People I, want validation that their concern is legit. Yeah, but also I think, you know, it's a form of genuine communication. If, if you're telling somebody that you're unhappy about a situation, that's pretty unvarnished and honest, isn't it? Like you're saying, I'm not happy. This is a real situation that I'm working through. Like, what do you think about it? Like, this is pretty horrible, but isn't it? I don't it? think that's a complaint. I think that is really sharing where you're at. I don't really consider that a complaint. I think okay. the complaining is more of what you said about, like, the bitching and moaning and, and not wanting the solution. And then, you know, other people are commiserating or trying to even one-up the complaint. Like, oh, you got a parking ticket. I got towed. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. True. This whole yeah. thing. Oh, um, oh and, and if it's not entertaining, like I don't have patience yes. for it. You know, like like if you can make it into a joke, I'm totally okay with it. Or if you've got a funny story to tell, like you're complaining, but it's funny, I'll listen and I will participate. Yeah, but I agree. Nobody and nobody wants to be around somebody who is overtly negative, right? I mean, I don't. And you know, it's interesting because many people don't bring me their complaints. They may bring concerns. Like I think what you identified with a person saying like, this is going on. That to me is a concern, but I don't have room and I'm not available for people's complaining unless they want to figure out a solution and I'm all there to help them. But if you just want to complain for the sake of complaining and hearing yourself talk, I am not available for that. I have other things to do. So what's happened when you've done this? I, I know you're not you're professing a way out of these types of conversations. So what's happened when you've applied this theory where like you just do not participate in somebody's complaining? What kind of reactions are you getting? They stop. They start actually start to get uncomfortable with their own complaining. Okay. And are these are are these acquaintances? These are acquaintances. These are people on my team. I just will not tolerate it. And their acquaintances, their friends, their family, I will you know, so this is really good for, you know, for anybody that's going somewhere for the holidays. This might come in handy. Yeah. You know, you just walk out of the room, you change the subject. Fair enough. OK, so what do you want to talk about the next time you're on the show? Because we've run out of time today. I want to talk about this. It's kind of ha- it may have to do with complaining a little bit, but the amount of people that are not their word. OK, that's ah. a- that sounds like a good idea. I have no complaint with that topic. But I'm OK, perfect. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jamie. For more information about Hina, visit hinacon.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss organic gardening gifts on The Tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education and design company. She's been featured on websites such as Farmer's Footprint, Florit, and Toronto Life, and is a regular garden contributor for Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she's the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information, you can visit thegoodseedgarden.com. Welcome back to the show, Melissa. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So, a special interview today. Everybody should get their pens out, or they can go to the website and and look at the show notes later. You're going to give the lowdown on special seasonal gifts for the gardener in everybody's life, right? Heck yes. Excellent. So you get to play Santa here. Where do you want to start? Well, I really want to tell you, I want to make the case for garden gifts right now. Okay. All right, counsel, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the best gifts in general are truly ones that are small luxuries. Mm -hmm. So think about things that we covet, but we wouldn't necessarily spend money on for ourselves. Yep. And so for me, I would say many garden gifts fall under that category. Aren't you fully stocked though? Or are there really items that like you really covet that you, like people have to buy? There probably are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So when we think about the garden, we think about it as a practical space. Yeah. But I could, I mean, we could also agree that it is one of lush growth and beauty. And so because of that, I think there are some really great gifts out there that I'm excited to share with you today. Well, I'm excited that you're excited. So where do you want to start? Is there anything that's trendy this year? Yes. There's so much that's trendy this year. And I think more than ever, there are some really great products to talk about We could harken back to my last podcast appearance where we talked about growing over the winter. So mushroom kits and microgreens and sprouting, those are all on trend. You can find kits for those online and they make a great gift. What's the price point on those kits? I'm just curious, like rough and dirty. Yeah, like I think you're under 50 bucks easy. Okay. Maybe with some of these gifts, if you could just sort of give people an idea generally, like what 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 the prices are, just so they can sort of, whether they're stocking stuffers or something, you know, more substantive. Okay? Okay. Okay. So also trendy for me, I would say, is good quality garden gear. Mm-hmm. But who doesn't want a great pair of overalls or a special shirt that helps keep the sun away? Yeah. And I'm going to go, this is a little bit more in the 75 to 150 range, but the brand Patagonia actually has a great line of outdoor workwear that's super functional for gardening. I didn't so know that. I, oh, okay. I know. See, it's a thing. People don't know. I love their hemp overalls. Hemp overalls. All right. They're, they're like a canvas texture. They're really great. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I think overalls in the garden, are, you know, your pants aren't riding down. They're the pants that you don't need to wash all the time. You just... You don't want pl- you don't want plumber's bum, that's for sure. And I know you like your overalls because you were on the cover of the magazine wearing them, right? That's right. And they also have Patagonia also has some great wicking shirts, so capelines that keep you cool yep. in those hot days. And I think because sun protection is at the top of mind for all of us who are in the garden, they also have some UV shirts that keep away like ninety seven percent harmful UV rays. Oh, that's a good and of one. course hats. Yeah. So that's a great gift. Yeah, especially for somebody with my hairline, a hat is kind of crucial because I'm outside all the time and I have no protection up there. I was using Lululemon uh, wicking wear, but I don't think they have any UV stuff. So that's actually very handy. That's a good idea. What else? Where do you want to go next? Subscription services? Yeah, I mean, I think that in Canada, we don't have a great opportunity for that. But 
I do want to take a moment to let you know about something that does last all season long and that would get you connected to me, which mm-hmm. is a master class that I co-host called A Year in the Urban Garden. Mm-hmm. And it's an immersive 12-module course that takes you literally from seed to plate, from the planning, we review your garden plan to execution, Uh, there's recipes, there's group Zoom events, you have email access to myself and my co-host Luai, and in price point range, that's between five and six hundred dollars, but the value there is pretty incredible, so... I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Yeah, so that that's like even that you're being in sort of included in a community in that sense, right? So it's it's a much bigger picture idea, but a good one. It is, and it makes a great gift for the person who's impossible to buy for, yep. but who also wants to level up their garden game. And so it's for all levels and all abilities, and you get real-time help, which is something you can't get on YouTube when you're trying to figure out your garden issues. So what would you say is not a great gift? Mm, that's a really good question. Don't gift large garden tools. And here's why. We all come in different shapes and sizes. So I think it's really important if you are going to invest in a larger garden tool, a rake or a broad fork, something like that, that you pick that out personally, because I want it to be as ergonomic as possible for you so that you are not hurting yourself when you're out in the garden and so that it fits your build. And I don't think we can choose that for someone else. Plus, it's hard to wrap a rake. It is. And can we like agree that it's kind of a less sexy gift? Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. I think we're on point there. So we talk about sort of larger budgets, but what if we're looking at stocking stuffers or, or a tighter budget? What would you recommend? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I have two ideas here. The first is seeds. Seeds are always a great gift. And I want you not to just like go and pick something random. There are two really good American companies I like. One is called Florette. The other is called Johnny Seeds. And they really carry some beautiful specialty varieties of flowers. So, for instance, an apricot Cosmo that I think is beautiful. And they've got some other different black-eyed Susans. So if you want to go sort of in the $15 range and under, maybe thinking about seeds is a great idea, something cool, new, special. And I presume like that gets delivered, right? Even it does, yeah. And if you don't know, you could always do a gift card, but I do think the websites now make it really easy to sort of see what's new, what's trendy, what's unique. So that works. And then another budget-friendly idea that I would love to suggest is terracotta planters. Okay. Terracotta never goes out of style. Mm-hmm. It's cheap and cheerful. It looks great no matter what you do. And we all have that moment in the garden where you're like, oh, I just dug up the rosemary. What do I do with it? I don't have a planter and a saucer for it. So I think that's a really cute gift. You could even pop the seeds in the little planter if you wanted. If you wanted to go crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's look at the other end of the spectrum. You just love somebody and you want to shower them with fantastic garden gifts and money is not an option. So where would you go there? Okay. So if you're looking to splurge, Mm -hmm. I want you to think about beautiful things that will last a long time because that's going to give you the most value for that sort of higher priced item. Mm -hmm. So definitely Haas watering cans are an obvious choice for me in that category. They have them at Lee Valley. They come in beautiful different materials. There's a copper one. They have a really elegant watering wand. I mean, these are functional, but also beautiful. 
And I also think you could go and do something really special in an heirloom plant. So if you have a rose lover in your life, David Austin roses are truly beautiful. They're in the higher price point, sometimes $70, $80, depending on where you buy them. But they are special and will last forever, essentially. Okay. Um, and then if you've got someone who's, you know, maybe not out in the garden as much, but does like to have fresh flowers around, Francis Palmer pottery is quite beautiful. It's online, and that would start around 350 U.S. and up. And they deliver to Canada? They do. Excellent. Okay, so here's a, an interesting question. Do you think that there's gardening gifts that are appropriate for kids or teens? Yes. Having four children that range from four to 20, I have this covered for you. Okay. So start them in the garden young. Lee Valley has a great hand tool kit for kids mm-hmm. that, you know, is very budget friendly. I think it's somewhere between 20 and $30. It's in bright colors and there's lots of pieces to it. So if they lose one or two, not a big deal. And teens, uh, you know what is really cool? There's a couple of indoor garden grow systems. One is called the click and grow and they can kind of plug that in, put it on their desk and grow all sorts of different things. There's herbs, there's flowers, there's strawberries even. That's around the $100 range, but it is something that lasts quite a while and you can continue refilling it with different little pods. And that's enough to get their interest going. There's a house in my neighborhood and I walk by it every day when I walk the dog and they've done these little miniature raised gardens outside and it's totally tended to by the kids of the house. It's very cool. I don't know how you'd go about doing that, but I just, I'm putting that out there for anybody who's listening who maybe wants to set something up for their kids. These kids are so proud. It's in the front yard, which is interesting. And they're growing sunflowers and herbs and all sorts of different things. It's very cool. I love it. Okay. One last question. Uh, I I suppose this is for the love of your life. Hopefully they're listening. What do you want to (laughs) get? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about books because I do think garden books, I have a lot. And believe it or not, some of the first books published were around botany. And so I would love to receive an antique gardening book, maybe written in the 1800s that's out of print from like a nice old antique bookstore. Yeah. That also makes a nice gift. Yeah. And for those who aren't like, look, I'm going to overlap here. There's this fantastic bookstore in the Venetian in uh, Las Vegas who has all sorts of these original books. I'm not sure if they have the botanical books, but they have all kinds of these vintage scientific books. So I'm going to put a link on there because I think that bookstore would have some amazing ones. I don't know if you get to Vegas or not. It's not high on the garden tour list, but I would go for the bookstore. How's that? Okay, fair enough. Thanks so much for coming on the show today with these great holiday ideas. Thanks, Jamie. Happy shopping. To learn more about Melissa, please visit thegoodseedgarden.com. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Lynn Poslins is the founder, president, and board chair of Women's Brain Health Initiative, otherwise known as WBHI, the global foundation raising money for research and education into combating women's aging brain disorders. Lynn founded WBHI in 2012 after she recognized the need to raise awareness and funds to help women stay brain healthy longer. In 2021, she was appointed as a member of the Order of Canada for her contributions to research on women's cognitive health and aging. Welcome to the show, Lynn. How are you? Good. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. So the WBHI initiative, can you tell us a little bit about it and why you started it? We have two mandates at Women's Brain Health Initiative. One is to fund research, particularly for women, because women have been underrepresented in scientific discovery in many areas, but particularly in brain aging diseases. Yet from my research, I've discovered that up to 70% of Alzheimer's sufferers are women. So the fact that women were more susceptible, even discounting for the fact that they live longer, but the fact that the research was focused on men, I felt I could fundraise against that so that we could have a more equitable balance in the research, but also to educate the public about what they could do to stay cognitively, mentally sharp as long as possible. And the reason education is important is because we've now discovered that up to 40% of all cases of dementia, and Alzheimer's specifically, which is the biggest cause of dementia, can be avoided through lifestyle choices. So people need to understand what those choices are so they can help themselves and their loved ones. So research and education to combat brain aging diseases that disproportionately affect women. It's interesting. A moment ago, you mentioned that most of the research focused on men. I have a notion as to why that is, but why do you think that is? Well, I guess when it comes down to it, it's really because it's less expensive and research is expensive because there isn't a hormone cycle to discount for. So even in lab rat studies, for instance, it might require five times the number of rats to discount for the hormone cycle because it's very quick. So the philosophy was, well, if we can study men and apply it to women, we should be okay. But like I said, there's something going on that make women more susceptible to brain aging diseases than men. So studying men and applying it to women just doesn't cut it. It's just a level of ignorance, I guess, right? The assumption that researching for men would automatically apply to women, I think has been discounted now. But I think that assumption was there for, for many years. Would you agree? A hundred percent. There was something called bikini medicine. So anything the bikini covered, obviously they would look at by sex. So breast cancer, ovarian cancer, sure. pregnancy, menopause, obviously they had to look at by sex. But again, other organs, if you could study male and apply it to female, it was considered to be okay. But the same way they recognized 20 years ago, a man's heart attack was may present differently than a woman's, they now understand. And through organizations like ours, we're hoping that they understand that, yeah. again, they have to study both men and women for a healthier outcome for both men and women. So let's talk a little bit about the research that's taking place right now. What's out there now that will help us get a better understanding of brain aging diseases and how to prevent them? Well, I guess the biggest issue now that has arisen is that up to 98% of all cases of Alzheimer's, again, biggest cause of dementia, is determined by our lifestyle choices. Yep. Well, that means, again, because it's our choice, we have more control over our cognitive destiny than we may have realized. And again, this is why the education piece is so important. The other thing we know is that by the time symptoms of diseases like Alzheimer's occur, it's likely the damage has happened 20 to 25 years prior. So it really means that Alzheimer's is a midlife disease with symptoms that show up in old age. So you know, so much of the visual of a person that has Alzheimer's is an old person in a wheelchair where that's a very late stage person. So 
you know, how do we take something that's considered old <laughs> yeah. um, and a disease and one destigmatize it and also try and engage younger people to start thinking about their brain health? I remember um, Dr. Sandra Black from Sunnybrook talking about the decade where exercise has the biggest impact on your cognitive health when you're in your 70s and 80s, and that's exercise in your 20s. Yep. Well, what 20-year-old thinks about, you know, what I'm doing today is going to make me either, will either increase my risk or decrease my risk for when I'm in my 70s and 80s in terms of cognitive impairment? You know, very few. So how do you, again, encourage younger people to start thinking about these lifestyle choices? I understand that your organization has an app that's going to help people with their lifestyle choices. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that might work? Yeah, yeah. So there's six lifestyle choices mm-hmm. that cumulatively give you the best protection. And what they are is mental stimulation. You have to exercise your brain like it's a muscle. Mm -hmm. This increases the cognitive reserve and new neurons in your brain so that as one part of your brain may start to falter, other parts take over. So mental stimulation, exercise, you've got to move your body. It doesn't have to be rigorous, but you should be going for a daily walk every day for 30 minutes. You have to increase the blood and oxygen flow to the brain. So exercise, nutrition, we know that what you eat across the blood-brain barrier. Today, the best type of diet for your cognitive health in the long run is something called the MIND diet, which is a combination of the Mediterranean-style diet, fruit, vegetables, olive oil, nuts, lean protein, combined with the DASH diet, which is low sodium to control hypertension. It's also easier to follow than the Mediterranean-style diet because there's a cheat day once a week. So the MIND diet, nutrition, very important. Social activity, you have to stay socially active, particularly difficult during COVID, but isolation and being lonely can lead to depression, and this is a precursor for Alzheimer's disease. There's sleep, seven to eight hours every single night, you know, pulling an all-nighter and sleeping in the next day doesn't cut it. It helps lay down your memories and get rid of the toxins in your brain. And finally, there's stress management. Whatever you can do to control your stress, whether it's pets or mindfulness, meditation or deep breathing, these things help control your stress and chronic levels of stress for long periods of time prematurely age all your cells, including your brain cells. So what this app does is it's a habit tracker, and it will provide you little habits against all six pillars of brain health. It's unique in the marketplace because you might have an app that focuses on sleep or on nutrition or on exercise, but not all six at once. It is free. We don't have any hidden paywalls, and most habit trackers, you know, you get a certain amount of information, and beyond that, you have to pay, say, a monthly fee or an annual fee. This is completely free, thanks to a financial contribution from the Public Health Agency of Canada. And the third thing that makes this uh, habit track unique is there's a whole section called Explore, and it's all of the research that backs up why a particular habit is good for your brain health. If you're interested in finding out, for instance, why you should eat the rainbow and why a variety of colors of food is important on your plate and to consume on a daily basis, the science is there. What can women and men do now to help prolong their cognitive vitality? I guess it's really to take more control over their lifestyle choices. And this applies to both men and women because we do know that those six pillars of brain health are vital to give you the strongest protection against diseases like Alzheimer's. I would say even though a lot of the preventative work, you know, you you talked about laying the groundwork in your 20s, I would say it's still relevant when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, right? Like anything you're doing to help is going to help, right? 
Absolutely. It's never too late, but the earlier the better. What other resources does the WBHI provide to the public other than the app? So as I said, the app, which is called BrainFit, Have a Tracker, is free. Other free resources that we have, there's something called Mind Over Matter, which is a magazine, a publication that we produce twice a year. And thanks to our partner, Brain Canada, we can deliver it free of charge if we get people's address. And it's filled again with all kinds of great articles about the science and things that you can do to protect yourself and your loved one. We have a podcast series um, and a video series. You can access it through our website, wbhi.org. And again, it's fantastic information and it's free for anybody that wants it. We've actually started a school program called Brainable, which is geared to middle school kids. Again, it's delivered free for the schools and the students that request it just by going to brainable.ca. It's a fantastic program all about these six pillars of brain health, which for that audience we call the brain boosters. And then we have the brain busters, which are the things that can harm your brain, like concussion, untreated mental health, ultimately Alzheimer's disease. So we do have a number of resources that you can access through our website. So I understand the WBHI raised over a million dollars on Women's Brain Health Day. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so every year since 2019, the Canadian government has declared December 2nd on the National Health Calendar as Women's Brain Health Day to raise awareness for the fact that women are more susceptible to brain aging diseases. The research still focuses on men and also to uh, raise money for more research that better meets women's unique needs. And what we did um, in celebration of Women's Brain Health Day is we created a fun viral challenge, which, you know, people could post their challenge on on socials to raise awareness and ultimately more funds for the research. And this past year, which is also our 10th anniversary, we did something called the Conductor's Challenge, which is a coordination challenge, sort of like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. (laughs) But basically, it's taking, you know, one hand and doing like a conductor up and down in the straight line, one, two, one, two, and with your other hand at the same time, doing a triangle or a one, two, three count, so down and out and up, and trying to coordinate that at the same time. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't think I could do this, that. Yeah. We got people to, you know, post their challenge on social media and donate to Women's Brain Health Initiative so that we could, uh, this year, that money is going to mental health research specifically for women. Oh, fantastic. We have time for a one last quick question, mm-hmm. and that is, what sort of resources are available for somebody who might be caring for somebody who has dementia? Well, caregivers often put themselves last which is a shame, really, because they often can succumb themselves to disease and to Alzheimer's before the person that they're looking after. So it's really important for a caregiver to manage their own stress, to make sure that they sleep well and eat well, and take advantage of whatever resources are available. Again, we do have these magazines, which have proved helpful to caregivers, as well as the podcasts and videos, all about tips and tricks, even the app, tips and tricks to, again, manage your stress, help you in terms of, you know, being more social, because it might be the last thing that you want to think about when you are caregiving for, for somebody else. But things like journaling are very good for you in terms of, you know, getting the emotions out that you may be feeling. So many of the things that we provide also are beneficial to caregivers. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. For more information about the Women's Brain Health Initiative, visit wbhi.org. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Angela Wallace, Hina Khan, Melissa Cameron, and Lynn Poslins. And thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. 
To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The November-December issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.